Now, today we're in part four of our series called Seek First, and it's based on this powerful promise that Jesus gave us in Matthew 6, 33. If you're new with us, this is a verse we're trying to memorize together as a church. And we're gonna practice again that today. So you'll notice when you look at the screen, you'll see there's only four words this week. So I'm gonna start us off and I'm gonna let the rest of you who have been practicing this uh, finish it. Okay, does that sound all right? Great, three people are ready. (laughs) Matthew 6, 33, Jesus said, seek Great, a little robotic, but, but we got there. So way to go. Proud of you for doing that. Now we're going to bring the, the verse on the screen. Let's say this out loud together with, with boldness. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. An amazing promise that Jesus gives us. And so we're trying to learn how to apply this promise to our lives. One of the things that we're trying to do in this series to put God first is to practice the spiritual discipline of fasting. And I'm curious, how's your first week of fasting been? If uh, if you've been fasting, a few people are excited. Uh, That's great. I'm excited for you. We've been praying for you. Our elders, our prayer team, our staff have been praying for you every day. And I have to tell you, it's an honor to do that. As we read through the things that you're fasting from and the things that you're fasting for, there are some significant issues that you're dealing with. And it's an honor to be entrusted with that information. It's an honor to approach our Heavenly Father on your behalf. So uh, we would love to do that with more of you. Uh, If you haven't been able to participate yet, if you were not here last week and you'd love to join us in our fast, or if you're new with us and you're thinking, what's this all about? Stop by our Connection Center. You can pick pick up our fasting preparation guide. You can get a hard copy or a digital copy, and then that will help you get uh, informed on biblical fasting. And you can start this week in week number two as we're doing that. We even have a QR code that you could click and you could go to fill out this form uh, that tells us what you're fasting from, what you're fasting for, and then we'll add you to our prayer list and be praying for you again. It's a real honor to do that. Now, for those of you who are new, this is our 13th year of fasting as a church. And I have found over these 13 years that I have this love-hate relationship with fasting. I love when our fasting time comes around. I love getting closer to God. I love growing spiritually. I love in those moments, like usually about halfway through my fast, uh, there are some moments where I really sense a closeness to the Holy Spirit and I can hear him whispering to me. And it's, it's an opportunity for me to kind of move all the distractions out of my life and really listen to him and listen to him well. And I love those moments. They don't happen every year. Uh, But when they happen, they're special moments. Now, the hate part of fasting for me is I actually hate not eating. Uh, I think not eating is pretty stupid. Like, I think we all should eat every day because I love food in every form and shape and size and taste. Like, I just enjoy food. And when I'm eating food, guess what? I want more food. So anybody else like that? 
Anybody? Okay, thank you for, for participating in my, uh, my, my, my struggle with, with fasting. Um, this past week, and I told you earlier what my plan was with my fast, just so you had a, an idea of what, what I'd be doing and, and what you could do yourself. Um, but this past week, what I've done is I've significantly reduced my food intake uh, to yesterday, and so today is two, my second day without food. I'll go a few more days like that and then slowly re-engage. So when I am in that process, and, and trying to discipline my body and discipline my mind, my body freaks out on me. So I sit down and I'll have a little bit and say, okay, today I'm only having a half portion. And my body goes, oh no, you're not. You're gonna have a whole portion. And then my, my mind has to overpower my body and say, no, like you can do this, you're not gonna die. My body freaks out and then a few days later it kind of comes in line. So I have got this, like, this struggle when it comes to setting aside food. And I found that when we're fasting, I think about food all the time. Like all the time, I'm thinking about it right now. Like I'm wondering what you're eating. Like, what, you got any snacks in your pocket? Like, I think that'd be great. Like, I want to come sit by you. Like, when I'm fasting, I, I give up food. I am amazed at how much I think about food throughout the day. I dream about food. Like, I wake up in the middle of the night, like, wow, I was dreaming about a Chili's commercial. Like, wow, that's, well, where'd that come from? That was weird. But then I'm reminded that I need to pursue God as much as I pursue food. And I don't realize how much I pursue food until we take it away. And then when we take it away, I'm like, wow, I think about food all the time. And God says, yeah, I want you to think about me like that. I want you to pursue me with as much energy as you pursue food. And if we all did that, imagine what our relationship with God would be like. So fasting, even though it's challenging, it's a great spiritual discipline for kind of evaluating our lives and seeing like what's most important in our lives and, and how we can get God back in his proper place. So um, thank you for joining us. If you're on this journey with us, and if you want to join us, I invite you to come and learn this great spiritual discipline. Now, so far in this series, we've talked about putting God first in our lives and what that looks like. We've talked about pursuing a closer relationship with God and what some of those things are in our lives that hold us back from that. We've talked last week about seeking freedom from things that hold us back in our lives. And today we're going to talk about seeking God for physical healing. And so I'm curious, how many of you either need physical healing yourself or you know someone who needs physical healing? Would you raise your hand up and just hold it up for a second? And then let's all just look around. Like that applies to almost all of us. And I think at some point in our lives, it will apply to all of us. Now, before we dive in, let me give you this super fun disclaimer about today's message. Today's message is going to have parts that are very encouraging. Might have some parts that are discouraging. You might even find yourself disagreeing with me mentally, emotionally, based upon what you've taught, based upon what you believe. And if we disagree, I think that's okay. As long as we're disagreeing as we stand on scripture. So if we're standing on scripture together, I think it's okay to agree to disagree in a few areas of scripture. As long as we're not standing on our opinions. If we're just standing on our opinions, we are in trouble. Because opinions uh, can't uh, hold up their weight when pressure is put on them. So we've got to stand on scripture. If you find yourself discouraged through this message, I encourage you to hang in there. Because there's some great encouragement beyond this. But we've got to hold on to really get to it. So... 
Now that you're super excited and eager to hear what we have to say, anybody ready to dive in? All right, we're going to start. In Luke 17, the powerful healing story that involves Jesus. So in verse 11, it says, as Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. And as he entered a village there, 10 men with leprosy stood at a distance crying out, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. I'm gonna pause there for just a moment. And I think that most of us have, even if it's just an idea of leprosy, like we get the concept, like maybe we haven't seen it like with our own eyes uh, in, in our lifetime. Uh, leprosy is still a thing in the world. Uh, it was a much more prevalent thing in Jesus' day, but leprosy was a horrible disease, contagious. Um, it, it caused you to not be able to feel and where that might sound wonderful, that leads to some really painful things where you can't tell that your hand's touching the hot fire. And it, it led to loss of uh, limbs, um, body parts, like noses would be eaten off. It was, it's a disfiguring, horrible disease uh, that people in Jesus' day dealt with more than, than we deal with. But again, people around the world still deal with this. So they're crying out to Jesus because they were not allowed to be in their community. Because they had that disease, they had to live outside of the community. So they see Jesus, they, they've heard of him, they, they're aware of the healings that he's done, so they cry out to him for this healing. In verse 14, Jesus looked at them and said, go show yourself to the priests, and as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Verse 15 says, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Now I'm gonna pause there again. I'm gonna explain a little bit about the Samaritan just in case you're not familiar with that. But this, a Samaritan was the offspring of one Jewish parent who intermarried with someone who was non-Jewish. And full-blooded Jews thought that was horrible. That thought that was blasphemous. They didn't want to have anything to do with Samaritans because they thought they had turned away from God and intermarried with another culture. And most likely that meant another religion. So they thought that was a horrible thing. They didn't want to have anything to do with the Samaritans. But in this story, we've got what seems to be nine Jews with one Samaritan. They found the common ground of an illness. So it's amazing what illness can do. It's amazing the barriers that illness breaks down between us. It breaks down barriers between ethnicities. It breaks down barriers between generations, between genders, between socioeconomic groups. So physical illness can actually help us find common ground with someone else. So that's what these 10 lepers had experienced. Verse 17 says, Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Like, where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Again, talking about a Samaritan. And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. There's a whole lot in that story that we can unpack, but we're just going to look at the last thing that Jesus said to the Samaritan. And he said, your faith has healed you. So apparently, one of the things that's needed for physical healing is to have enough faith. And I'm curious, if you need physical healing or you know someone who needs physical healing, do you have enough faith that they can be healed? 
Do you have enough faith for that? And what's your faith in? For the Samaritan and the other lepers, their faith wasn't in the medical community at that time. Apparently, they tried that. That hadn't helped. Their faith wasn't in their religious system. Apparently, they had tried that. That hadn't helped. Their faith was in God who could heal. So is your faith in God who can heal? Do you have enough faith for that? We'll come back to that in in a minute. This is going to sound like a total contradiction. Sometimes we need faith to be healed. Other times, we don't need faith to be healed. Several times in the New Testament, Jesus healed people who didn't have enough faith. And we actually looked at one of those instances last week. And so we're going to go back into that story we looked at last week in John chapter 5, where Jesus healed a man who'd been sick for 38 years. Can you imagine that? Like, I know some of you can. You've experienced that in your own life, or you know someone who's experienced illness for a very long time. That's this guy's story. And the story in John chapter 5 centers around what's called the Pool of Bethesda. And at this pool, there was a supernatural thing that was going on. It was believed that an angel would come along periodically and stir up the waters. And whenever the water was stirred, whoever got into the pool first received their healing. Can you imagine how popular that pool would be? Like everybody would want to be around that pool. Well, this guy had been around that pool for a very long time. So Jesus walks in to that environment. He walks up to this guy and he asks this strange question. He says, would you like to get well? Like I said last week, that is a very weird question to ask someone who has been sick for a very long time. Jesus had some reasons for that question. We looked at that last week, but listen to what the guy said back to Jesus in John chapter five or seven. He said, I can't, sir, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there before me. So try to imagine watching people be healed for 38 years. Like I'm sure as as he became aware of, of this pool, I'm sure at the beginning of his illness, he was excited. I'm sure he thought, like, somebody, please help me. Just get me there. Like, do whatever you can to get me by the pool, and then maybe I'll get my healing. And I'm sure for the first few years, he sat very close to the pool, to the pool's edge. I'm sure when he saw the water stir, he did everything he could to get in that water, and then somebody else would beat him. And I'm sure there was a moment of discouragement, but I'm sure he thought, you know, okay, so so maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow when the waters are stirred, I'll I'll get my chance. And then tomorrow came and and went. And then a a week came and went. And then a month came and went. And then a year came and went. And then five years came and went. And then 10 and 15 and 20 and 30 and 35. 38 years later, where do you think this guy is sitting around the pool? Do you think he's close anymore? I'm not thinking he is. I'm thinking he's sitting on the other side of the area, on the other side of the room. He's given up hope. I can't get healed. I've been here 38 years. I can't get healed. Jesus says to this man, today's your day. Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. He was instantly healed. So Jesus healed this guy in spite of his lack of faith. So again, there are moments when faith is what is needed for us to be healed and faith in God for us to be healed. There are other moments 
where what is needed is God's grace in spite of our lack of faith. Let me go back into having enough faith for healing for just a minute. I want to encourage all of us to be careful about telling people they need more faith. I I know that sounds weird, but we got to be careful about telling somebody who's sick, hey, if you just had more faith, you would be healed. That is a true statement, or it could be a true statement in their scenario, but it can also be very painful. Here's what happens on the receiving end of that. So if you're on the receiving end of someone making that statement, you might think, well, I want to be healed, so I want more faith. I I see stories in scripture where somebody's faith healed them, so that person might read their Bible more, might might pray more, might go to a healing service, try to, to build their faith as much as possible. And if they don't get healed, they might start thinking, you know what? Either I can't build enough faith, something's wrong with me, or God doesn't care about me. And they're tempted to step away from God. So so again, sometimes healing is a faith issue. Sometimes it isn't a faith issue. And we need to be careful about how we interact with people around their healing issues because God might be doing something greater than we can ever understand on the surface. Now, what I'm about to say is not very popular. And again, some of you might disagree with what I say, and I think that's okay. But here's what I truly believe from scripture, and I I think we need to, to have this in our perspective when it comes to healing, if we're gonna understand healing from a true biblical perspective. Here's my statement. God doesn't heal everyone. I think God does heal everyone in eternity. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I think one day you're going to get a brand new body. Anybody excited about that body? Wow. Let's, let's take up a collection and you know, we could get a bus probably and go today. Let's not do that. God will figure that out for us. But I, I know we're excited about that. So I think for eternity, God will heal us. But on earth, God doesn't heal everyone. In John chapter five, it appears from the story that Jesus walked into the pool of Bethesda and excused himself around a lot of different sick people, walked up to this guy who was sick, sat down next to him, healed him, got up and walked out, left everybody else with their disease. We see in other passages in the New Testament where Jesus healed people in a community and then before everyone was healed, he left and went to another community walked away from those people who were still waiting for their their healing. So God doesn't heal everyone. Sometimes God chooses chooses not to heal because he's doing something greater with our illness. And I know that sounds crazy, but I want you to listen to this. And, And this is from the words of the apostle Paul, okay? So Paul had a physical issue that he needed to talk to God about, and I want you to hear God's answer to Paul, okay? So again, like I said last week, outside of Christ, I'm not sure of another more influential Christ follower than Paul. 
And listen to what God said to Paul. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul tells us about some amazing things he's seen in his relationship with God. He's got this checklist. I've seen this, and God has done this in my life, and this in my life, and this in my life. And then he says in verse 7, he says this strange thing. He says, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. That's the bad kind of proud, not the good kind of proud. So there's a lot of speculation about what this thorn was. Uh, there are Bible scholars that believe it was some spiritual thorn in the flesh, like some oppression from demon, demonic activity around him. There are some that believe it was a relational thorn in the flesh, that he had some people in his life that were just a, a pain in his side on a, a regular basis, and he couldn't get away from them. He had to interact with them all the time, and yet God was guiding him through that. Most Bible scholars believe this was a physical issue, like partial blindness uh, or malaria or possibly migraines. We're not exactly sure what it was for Paul, but listen to what God said to Paul about this issue. Paul said in verse eight, three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. And, and this wasn't like I prayed three times in three minutes. That's not the context of what Paul was saying. It's three different seasons, three different seasons of deep prayer. And Paul went to God and said, God, would you take this thing away? Verse nine, each time God said back to Paul, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So Paul, the apostle Paul, asked God to heal him and God said no. Because God had a deeper purpose for that physical thing that thorn in the flesh in his life than Paul could understand at that time. Again, I know that sounds crazy, but Paul said, you know what? My weakness kept me dependent upon God and my healing might have caused me to be dependent on myself. I think that's why Paul could say in verse nine as he continued, so now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses. Like, What's Paul saying here? I think he's lost his mind when you first read it. Like, this is crazy. Like, who boasts about their weaknesses? Paul does. He says, I boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. I mean, Paul's basically saying, listen, I don't want people to see me. I want people to see Christ in me. And they can see Christ in me through my weakness. That's why God said no to Paul. So here's where our faith comes back in. We need to have faith that God can heal us, and we need to have faith that God is doing something greater if he chooses not to heal us. So do you have enough faith for that? Do you have enough faith to believe that God is doing something greater in your life if he chooses not to heal you at this point? The cool thing about God is God is always doing something greater. That's what he does. That's his nature. He's always doing something greater, deeper than we can ever see. And maybe the healing that, that we're receiving or the healing that God wants to bring us has to do with a mental healing, an emotional healing, or a physical healing that's actually emotional, spiritual, mental that's deeper than the physical part. So maybe that's what God is doing and he's using the physical illness to get to those things. 
This summer marks 20 years that my father has been gone. So 20 years ago, my dad passed away from an 11-year journey with leukemia. And my dad was my age when he found out he was diagnosed with leukemia. So it's humbling for me as I grow each year older and I think about what my dad was experiencing at this season of his life. And I prayed for my dad to be healed. My wife prayed, my mom, my, my siblings, our entire family. A lot of people prayed for my dad to be healed. And yet, my dad never prayed to be healed from leukemia. And you know, when I heard that, I'm like, what? You never prayed to be healed? Like, that's crazy. Here's what my dad said about leukemia. He said it gave him a stronger relationship with God, a closer relationship with God than he'd ever had before. And he thought leukemia with God was better than uh, uh, no leukemia without God. I'm like, who in the heck thinks that way? Like that's, that's like the apostle Paul. That's how Paul thought. And that's how my dad thought. So my dad said, listen, like leukemia has been a good thing for me. It's kept me dependent upon God. It's driven me to him in ways that I wouldn't be driven before. Now, would I wish that on anyone? No. Do I want to sign up for that and say, hey, pick me, you know, God, that sounds great. No, I don't, I don't want that for my life. But my dad had an understanding like Paul did. Uh, a few weeks ago, I actually told you about a personal journey that my wife has been on. So this March marks 15 years since my wife contracted a chronic illness that she has battled uh, for, again, 15 years. She went from healthy to uh, bedridden almost overnight, uh, walked with a cane for many years, was in a lot of pain, and we really anguished, especially in those early years. It took two and a half years to find a diagnosis for Tammy, and there were many nights that we just cried out to God and begged him to, to heal Tammy. And we did everything we could to, to build our faith. And we tried every suggestion that anybody would throw at us. And so as, as we were early on in that stage, we'd have people say, hey, I know, here's the answer. You need more faith. Or uh, try this, this pill. Or, or try this lotion. Or drink this, this bottle. Uh, uh, just do this stuff, and, and it'll work for you. We tried a lot of different things. And none of that stuff worked. So there were some, some very lonely, dark moments for us in those early years where we would just cry out to God. Felt like the medical community wasn't helping. Felt like we had nowhere to turn. Felt like God wasn't answering. He was silent. And now, 15 years later, as we look back, we see evidence of God at work. We see how God has done amazing things over the past 15 years. Um, in those early years, Tammy would, would be in so much pain that it would take us 30 minutes to an hour to get her downstairs, get her settled at the kitchen table, and she would look out our uh, kitchen window at some flowers that I had planted right outside of the window, and she would sit there all day long in that chair in pain and not move. And I would take our four kids, I would get them off to school, I would go to work, I would, I would come home, get the kids home, get dinner ready. And Tammy said it was in those, those lonely moments when she was in pain, sitting in that chair immobilized, that God did some of his deepest work. It was in those moments when, where she had nowhere to go. 
She couldn't distract herself with physical activity. She just had to sit there and have deep conversations with God. She said in those moments, God did some mental healing, some emotional healing. She said that God did healing uh, in spite of her body not being healed, and he used her physical limitations to actually reach deeper in her life. I've seen it. I've watched it in her. I've watched her attitude change. I've watched my wife at nights when she was crying in pain start singing praises to God with me sitting next to her going, God, what are you doing? This makes no sense to me. And I've watched my wife praise our good, great God. Now, is Tammy much better today than she was back then? Yes. Is she fully better? No. Guess what happened uh, today when she got out of bed? She was in a whole lot of pain. Guess what she had to pull out? Her cane. She hasn't used her cane in years. If you see her this morning, you might see her walking with her cane. Please don't tell her to have more faith. She's got more faith than I think a lot of us do. She's not done with her healing story. She's not done yet. And neither am I. And I look back at some of the things that God has taught me on that journey. And at the beginning of the journey, uh, I just did not know how to care for my wife. Like, I just didn't get that. So instantly becoming a, 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 what I felt like was a single dad with four kids and a, and a disabled spouse and trying to manage her medical needs and doctor appointments and medicine and, and our four kids and getting them to their activities and work and all that, like, I was pulling my hair out. And you see what happened at, at the result of that. So like, I had a bad attitude when it came to serving my wife. Like, I would just be grumpy. I wasn't a good caregiver. And she would be in bed and need new dinner, and I'd bring her dinner and you know, kind of leave it there, and have, I got to go, I got a lot to do. And so I was just hurried and frustrated and bitter and, and com- complaining to God often. In one of my temper tantrums, I, I complained to God and said, like, how much longer? Like, I don't think I can keep doing this. How much longer do you want me to do this? And he said, Trent, I want you to do this the rest of your life. I want you to learn how to serve your wife. This is what I meant when I washed my disciples' feet in John 15. Like, I want you to learn to serve your wife if it takes doing this the rest of your life. And I don't know about how you interact with God, but in that moment, like, there was a light bulb that went on, and it felt like God took a two-by-four and went, bam, right upside my head. I'm like, oh, that's what John 15 means. Oh, okay. And I begin to shift my attitude. I begin to serve my wife in a different way. Have I, have I become the greatest caregiver ever? No, ask my wife. I have moments where I'm like, I suck at it. But I serve her very differently than I did. And I'm grateful for some of the lessons that God has taught us. Now, do I want God to heal Tammy? Yes, I do. I would give my life if that were possible. I would trade places with her. If God made that an option, I would. Do I ask God to heal her? Yes, I do. I asked again this morning, believing that God can heal her. Do I have enough faith to trust God if he says no? Yes, I do. Because my faith is in God, in his plan. And I know that he's doing something greater because he always does something greater, even if I can't see it. So do you have enough faith for that? In your life or for somebody else that you know who's sick? who's been in pain for a long time, do you have enough faith to believe that God can heal them? 
It's a tough spot to get to. Uh, If you're sick, if you've been sick or in pain for a long time, let me just say I'm sorry. Sorry for the journey you've been on. It's hard. I don't know it as someone who's walked the the, the pain, painful journey. Uh, I know it as a caregiver. If you're a caregiver, I know what your journey's like. If you're someone who's walked in, in a lot of pain for a long time with illness, my wife knows what your journey is like. And I'm sorry to you for that pain, but I am hopeful because God is doing something great in you. God can heal you. He could heal you today. He could. Or God could heal something deeper in your life that he's using this physical illness to get to. He could do that as well. God is doing something greater in you. Do you believe him for that? So sometimes healing is a faith issue where we need to grow our faith. Other times, healing is a grace issue where God heals us in spite of our lack of faith. And still other times, healing is a trust issue where God heals and we've got to trust that he's doing a deeper healing than maybe our physical healing in that moment where we trust, God, I know you might say no to me right now for this physical healing, but I trust you're doing something greater. So sometimes it's a trust issue. I believe God still heals people today. And so we're going to end today by asking God to heal. And uh, I know that a number of you uh, have healing issues that you need in your life or you know someone who's in that spot. And so in just a moment, we're going to ask you to identify yourself and we're going to have one of our elders pray for you. And before uh, he does that, uh, I'm going to ask him to share a little bit of his story and the journey that he and his wife and family have been on when it comes to pursuing physical healing. So I'm going to invite Gary to come to the stage. And then after he's done sharing, I'm going to give you some other instructions for how we're going to end today. So this is Gary. And uh, he's I'm one not of our a elders. pastor on staff. He is not a pastor on staff, but he is one of our elders. I, I always wanted to say that. I, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you clarified that for us. He is one of our elders who provides spiritual wisdom and guidance to us as a church. And I am so grateful for the investment that he provides. And uh, I want you to hear his story. Well, I always looked at myself as the, uh, the fix-it man. You know, I could fix pretty much anything, that at least that I thought I could. I could throw more people at it. I could throw, try to throw money at it. But I was just loaded with pride. Just, you know, pride ruled so many of my decisions in my life. And uh, so, Trenda told me I got five minutes, so we're going to take seven and a half years and put it in five minutes. Okay, so we'll go. I believe, I've believed in God, and I've been since I was a young, young child. And, uh, but for whatever reason, I figured my problems were just too small and God didn't really need my help. I mean, he, you know, so I needed help. I needed to really help him do things. So, I mean, imagine the creator of the universe needs my help. I mean, that's, that's being pretty arrogant, I would say. Well, about seven and a half years ago, our daughter, uh, Kristen, had her one and only child and about right around Thanksgiving, and about five days later, she was uh, fighting for her life in a hospital with a bacterial blood infection. This thing was just flying through her body. Uh, all her organs were starting to shut down and all that. Uh, they, they had told me that the 
bacterial blood infection that the, they could culture it in about five to seven days in a lab, but this they could culture in about 45 minutes. It was just flying through. Like I said, everything was shutting down and everything. So um, about two days into it, uh, they decided that maybe we should check the baby out. Maybe she's got a bacterial blood infection as well. So her husband is staying with her, uh, with her and the doctor says, well, you're going to have to go up to Jacksonville to the uh, children's hospital to go and take our daughter. So here I am with a granddaughter that's about five days old, six days old, and now I've got to make life decisions on can we do this test or that test or whatever it is. So uh, we get her there and she's, you know, wiggling all around. There's not going to be any, we're not going to be taking any spinal fluid today. So they said, we're going to do it tomorrow. So the next day we, we uh, left, I went out and got some, got some lunch or whatever it is. I spoke to my wife and they said, you need to be praying because they're talking about having to cut off Kristen's feet because of the, the blood suppressors they are giving her and everything. So I'm, I'm walking back from lunch, I'm a little teary eyed and everything. And, uh, Trent had spoken in the earlier service that sometimes you hear a quiet voice of the Holy Spirit or whatever it is, and I, I, and I heard it that day. He said, dude, I gave you eternal life. Don't you think I can handle this? And from then on, I had peace, and I was able to rest with all the crazy decisions that had to be made and all of that. And that was the moment that I realized that there was, there was no fix-it man there, it had to be total dependence, 100% on Christ and letting God work. There was no amount of money I could throw out of it. And uh, my wife has a little saying, I'm a little hard-headed, but she says, you know, when you're working, God is resting. And when you're resting, God is working. And I finally learned how to rest and really, really be at peace. So we spent about 68 days in ICU, and uh, Kristen had uh, got to go through the wonderful uh, ability to have maggot therapy where they crawl all over your legs and eat all the dead tissue off and everything. She had five operations in six weeks. She had uh, a hysterectomy. She had two surgeries to put skin grafts on her knees all the way down uh, to the heels of her feet, about 500 staples in each. Uh, then they had to take all those staples out. And then just before she's ready to uh, get out, they said, let's go run another test. And they found that the bacteria had got on her aorta and, and so she had to have heart surgery. And they said, no doctor wanted to do it. But one doctor said that he would, because I guess they figured she's just not gonna make it. So she's come through it okay. We go to a doctor every eight weeks, you know, for her legs and feet and everything. And every time, in fact, we just went on Thursday, every time the doctor sees her legs, she goes, that is a miracle. He says a miracle every single time. Because um, I had asked him recently, because we, we were celebrating our seventh year anniversary of visiting him, uh, that how skin grafts, I mean, what did you really expect her to do? He says, well, if we would have got 50 to 60%, I would have called that good. And he, I said, well, what do you think she did? She says, about 98%. So, so today, Kristen and her husband and, and daughter, they live in um, St. Augustine area. Uh, she has limited mobility. Considering they want to take her legs off, we'll take that. Uh, 
Uh, she's homeschooling her daughter. She's maintained uh, an amazing attitude and uh, believes that she's here for a reason. Um, and I just, her attitude is just something that's just doctors and, and people that see her just seem to really resonate with, with her. So, but there's a few things I've learned on this, this whole journey that, that our family has been on. And um, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, and my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And I think for one of the things that we were able to take away is God's ways are not our ways. Because sometimes when we're praying for healing, we have this idea that it's going to be this, this is exactly the way it's going to look. You know, we prayed, you know, to for God to restore Kristen, but she's lost toes, she's lost part of fingers and all that. Um, but her legs are scarred and she has balance issues and she lives in pain every single day, but she has a closer walk with God. And just like Trent had shared with his dad, she wouldn't take that away for anything. The other thing I've learned is God's timing is not our timing, because sometimes we have this, we think that, you know, we prayed and we waited 30 seconds and then things are supposed to happen, right? I mean, it just, it just doesn't work that way, you know, and we've learned that we're on this, we're, we are on this journey. So about three and a half years ago, on August 4th, 2018, I had a heart attack and I had a 100% blockage of the Widowmaker. And so um, I hit the ER about 12 o'clock, and by 12.45, I had had a procedure, and I was already in a room because God was already watching out for me. There was another um, procedure that was going to be done in front of me, and so they just said, hey, we're done with this one. Let's go do that one. So they just wheeled me right in, and I was done. And I had great care, but I know just God is just watching over me, and I was at peace through that entire journey. Um, so... This is going to sound a little corny to some people and everything, but you know, I know that God lives in me, and I just feel that God replaced my blood with his blood because, you know, whatever they can say, I seem to be back 100%. I won't say 100% because I don't know if I'm ever going to be 100%, but I know when to say no and when to say yes on things. And so, um, Currently, we're dealing with some other issues, some parent issues of our uh, uh, family, you know, some health. But, you know, I know God's in control. It's frustrating to deal with all the medical stuff and the insurance stuff. But, again, I know God's in control, and I just have this peace. I, I wish I could explain it to you, and I wish I could, but I can't. It's just this, this rest that I have and this peace that I know God is in control, and no matter what gets thrown at me, I know that he's there and he's right by my side. So I have three questions for you, really, really quick. Trent sort of hit him a little bit, and that is, do you know that God really heals? Do you believe that? And do you believe that God heals others? But do you believe that God will heal you? Thanks, Gary. Um... So, uh, 
I wish that, that you could spend a couple of hours hanging out with Gary and his wife, Terry, and even their daughter, Kristen, and uh, just hear more of their story. So we're actually going to create just a, a small opportunity for that today. After the service, we're going to create a space for those who might need uh, some extra prayer. Uh, after Gary prays, Gary will be right up front here, and he'll be available. If you want to come talk to him, if you want to pray with him, he'll be up front. I'll be up front as well. We've got some other folks. I think uh, Chuck and Barb are going to be up front as well. So if you see anybody standing up front looking towards you, they're available to pray with you if you need that. And uh, so we just want to create a space. So if, if you don't need prayer, if you're ready to go, as soon as we're done praying, you're free to leave. But if you want to hang out just for a few minutes and you want to talk to God a little bit deeper, you want to pray with someone, or if you're a caregiver, and, and your, your burden's kind of heavy, you want to talk, you want to pray, I invite you to, to stay for that. If you're watching online, you want to reach out to us, uh, you can email us at prayer at theepicchurch.com. We would love to, to pray for you. So before Gary prays, I'm curious, and I would, I'd like you to do this with me for those who can. So if you need healing, or you know someone who needs healing, would you stand if you can't stand, just hold up your hand. But if you need healing, you know someone who needs healing, would you please stand? And Gary's going to pray for our great physician, God, to heal you. So Gary? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for being our Savior and the great physician. We know we live in a broken world and we're all on a journey and all in need of, of healing. But we thank you for the cross and for your cleansing blood that cleanses from our unrighteousness and the sins of our entire life. As Psalms 103.3 says, he forgives all our sins and heals all our diseases. I thank you for your broken body that endured the pain, the sicknesses and diseases we face in this world the stripes, the slashes, the beatings that you bore for our healing, for our spouse's healing, for our children's healing and the healing of our family and friends. For those praying for healing today, I ask that they seek you first and for you to reveal yourself to them. Open their eyes to believe you will heal, not just others, but them too. As they lay their physical afflictions, diseases, and addictions, their spiritual burdens, their self-worth, their pride, their mental and emotional burdens and hurts at your feet, give them strength, peace, and rest to let go. Whatever challenge they're facing right now, I know it's not too small for your attention, nor too big for your grace and power. As they seek you, help them find comfort in knowing and believing that they and their loved ones are in your hands and in your control. Give them rest and peace throughout each day. Help them to look up and see your guiding, you guiding their path daily, working powerfully in their body, healing and protecting them, restoring and invigorating them with your resurrected life. Help them to believe and to receive your healing bring peace, soundness, and strength to their heart, their mind, and their emotions. In Jesus' name, amen. 
For those who would like to stay, feel free to stay. If you want to come up front and pray with someone, you can. Uh, For everyone else, if you're ready to leave, you are free to leave. Thanks for being here today, everyone.